rolling along, rolling along, rolling along through the nation. Freedom's car, emancipation. One day, some 30 years after the Civil War, a man named Homer Plessy boarded a train in New Orleans, Louisiana to ride 60 miles to Covington, Louisiana. Plessy, who had one-eighth Negro blood, sat down in a vacant seat on the train and was immediately ordered to move by the conductor. Ticket! Ticket! This car for whites only. Under Louisiana law, you must sit in the separate car for Negroes. That law is unconstitutional. I refuse to move. Then you're under arrest. Officer. Yeah? Remove this man. Homer Plessy was forcibly removed from the train and taken to jail. The entire episode was over in a short time. But in 1896, it resulted in a United States Supreme Court decision entitled Plessy versus Ferguson, which legally set a pattern of segregation in the United States for almost 60 years. A pattern based on the doctrine of separate but equal facilities for the white and Negro races. Why, 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 and why, and why to the war, young man? Did a man ever fight for a holier cause than freedom and flag and equal laws? Why, why, why? Men had marched off to fight in the Civil War singing this song. After the war was over, Congress took steps to make sure that every citizen, including the newly freed slaves, would indeed enjoy equal laws. The 14th Amendment, adopted in 1868, stated, No state shall deny to any person the equal protection of the laws. The Civil Rights Act of 1875, enacted seven years later, provided that all persons shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the accommodations, advantages, facilities, and privileges of inns, public conveyances on land or water, theaters, and other places of public amusement. But in 1883, the constitutionality of the Civil Rights Act was reviewed by the United States Supreme Court. The court ruled that the act was unconstitutional on the grounds that the 14th Amendment did not forbid discriminatory actions of private individuals, but only of states. By the late 1880s, one southern state after another had adopted laws which established and enforced by criminal penalties racial segregation. Under these laws, separate schools, parks, waiting rooms, buses, and railway accommodations were required or permitted to be furnished for each race. Negroes who had greeted their emancipation after the Civil War with this song now sang it in protest against this segregation. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom over me. 
And before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. In 1890, a group of Negroes organized to protest a law being considered by the Louisiana State Assembly. This law, entitled An Act to Promote the Comfort of Passengers, required railroads in Louisiana to provide equal but separate accommodations for the white and colored races. On July 10th, the Louisiana Assembly, even though it included 16 Negro senators and representatives, passed the law. One of the Negroes who had led the protest against it was L.A. Martinet, editor of the New Orleans Crusader. Believing the law was unconstitutional, he decided to challenge it in the courts with the help of a New York lawyer, Albion Tourguet. Homer Plessy, who was only one-eighth Negro and could easily pass for white, was selected to make the test case. After Plessy was arrested and put in jail for refusing to move to a separate railroad car for Negroes, the case went to a Louisiana court before Judge John H. Ferguson. In 1893, this court ruled that the separate but equal state law did not violate the 14th Amendment. The case of Plessy versus Ferguson was then appealed and eventually went to the United States Supreme Court. There, in 1896, Plessy's lawyer, Turgay, attacked the Louisiana law with scorn. This act is intended to promote the happiness of one class by asserting its supremacy and the inferiority of another class. Justice is pictured blind, and her daughter, the law, ought at least to be colorblind. After the United States Supreme Court deliberated the case, Justice Henry B. Brown delivered the majority opinion in the Plessy-Ferguson decision, opening with these words. This case turns upon the constitutionality of an act of the state of Louisiana passed in 1890, providing for separate railway carriages for the white and colored races. The constitutionality of this act is attacked upon the ground that it conflicts both with the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, abolishing slavery, and the 14th Amendment, which prohibits certain restrictive legislation on the part of the states. The majority opinion of the court dismissed any violation of the 13th Amendment on the part of the Louisiana law, arguing that a law or statute making a legal distinction between the two races did not destroy their legal equality. A statute which implies merely a legal distinction between the white and colored races, a distinction which is founded in the color of the two races, and which must always exist as long as white men are distinguished from the other race by color, has no tendency to destroy the legal equality of the two races, or to reestablish a state of involuntary servitude. The Supreme Court then answered the argument that the Louisiana law conflicted with the 14th Amendment. The court's majority opinion was that the 14th Amendment did not intend to do away with distinctions based on color in special relationships, and that Louisiana was merely using its police power to separate the races as in the case of schools. 
Chief Justice Brown stated it this way. The object of the amendment was to enforce the absolute equality of the two races before the law. But it could not have been intended to abolish distinctions based upon color or to enforce social as distinguished from political equality or a commingling of the two races upon terms unsatisfactory to either. Laws requiring their separation in places where they are brought into contact do not necessarily imply the inferiority of either race to the other and have been generally recognized as within the competency of the state legislatures in the exercise of their police power. The most common instance of this is connected with the establishment of separate schools for white and colored children. The Supreme Court then expressed the majority opinion that the Louisiana law should be judged on its consideration of the established customs of the people of the state. The case reduces itself to the question whether the statute of Louisiana is a reasonable regulation. And with respect to this, there must necessarily be a large discretion on the part of the legislature. In determining the question of reasonableness, it is at liberty to act with reference to the established usages, customs, and traditions of the people, and with a view to the promotion of their comfort and the preservation of the public peace and good order. Gauged by this standard, we cannot say that a law which requires the separation of the two races in public conveyances is unreasonable. The Supreme Court next answered the argument used by Homer Plessy's lawyer that a law separating the races debased the Negro race and labeled it inferior. We consider the underlying fallacy of the plaintiff's argument to consist in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority. If this be so, it is not by reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it. The argument necessarily assumes that if the colored race should become the dominant power in the state legislature and should enact a law in similar terms, it would thereby relegate the white race to an inferior position. We imagine that the white race would not acquiesce in this assumption. Nor, stated the Supreme Court, did it believe that laws could make the two races socially equal. The argument also assumes that social prejudices may be overcome by legislation and that equal rights cannot be secured to the Negro except by an enforced commingling of the two races. We cannot accept this proposition. If the civil and political rights of both races be equal, one cannot be inferior to the other civilly or politically. If one race be inferior to the other socially, the Constitution of the United States cannot put them upon the same plane. The judgment of the court below is, therefore, affirmed. Thus, the majority opinion of the United States Supreme Court upheld the law of Louisiana and ruled it did not violate the United States Constitution. But there was one lone dissenter in the court, Justice John Marshall Harlan. Ironically, Justice Brown, who delivered the majority opinion of the court, was a Yale man from the state of Michigan. 
Justice Harlan, who dissented, was a southerner from Kentucky. He opened his dissenting opinion with these words. In respect of civil rights common to all citizens, the Constitution of the United States does not, I think, permit any public authority to know the race of those entitled to be protected in the enjoyment of such rights. Indeed, such legislation as that here in question is inconsistent not only with that equality of rights which pertains to citizenship, national and state, but with the personal liberty enjoyed by everyone within the United States. To Justice Harlan, the principle at stake was personal liberty of all citizens as guaranteed by the United States Constitution. The fundamental objection, therefore, to the statute is that it interferes with the personal freedom of citizens. If a white man and a black man choose to occupy the same public conveyance on a public highway, it is their right to do so. And no government, proceeding alone on grounds of race, can prevent it without infringing the personal liberty of each. In his dissenting opinion, Justice Harlan reaffirmed the democratic heritage of the United States. Our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. In respect to civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. The law regards man as man and takes no account of his surroundings or of his color when his civil rights as guaranteed by the supreme law of the land are involved. It is therefore to be regretted that this high tribunal, the final expositor of the fundamental law of the land, has reached the conclusion that it is competent for a state to regulate the enjoyment by citizens of their civil rights solely upon the basis of race. Justice Harlan predicted that this Supreme Court decision would have as disastrous results as the Dred Scott decision of 1857, which ruled that the Negro slaves could not become citizens. He pointed out that the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution had erased this ruling, and he concluded with these words. I am of the opinion that the statute of Louisiana is inconsistent with the personal liberty of citizens, white and black, in that state and hostile to both the spirit and letter of the Constitution of the United States. For the reasons stated, I am constrained to withhold my assent from the opinion and judgment of the majority. The Plessy versus Ferguson decision of the Supreme Court made lawful the separate but equal doctrine. Its effect went far beyond the use of railroad facilities it provided the legal basis for segregation laws dealing with drinking fountains, restrooms, hotels, schools, parks, theaters, and other public facilities all over the South and in some states in the North. Thus, in 1896, the Plessy-Ferguson decision established segregation as a way of life in the United States. Not until 1954, nearly 60 years later, was the decision reversed when the United States Supreme Court agreed with Justice Harlan, who had said, Our Constitution is colorblind 
and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. Rolling along, rolling along, rolling along through the nation, freedom's car, emancipation. 